welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Kemper Donovan. I'm Catherine Broback. And this week, we are discussing Catherine's favorite detective <laughs> within the greater Christieverse, Parker Pine, heart specialist. Yeah. Catherine, how excited are you right now? He's a specialist of my heart. <laughs> Causes me like a little angina. He's Yeah, he's your angina specialist. So <laughs> the short story we're discussing this week is The Case of the City Clerk. And it so happens that this is the Parker Pine story that was next within the collection we're working our way through. More on that in a moment. But this is an extremely happy coincidence because we'd like to do a special holiday-themed episode at the end of each year here on this podcast. And our first year, we covered The Adventure of the Christmas Pudding with our dear Monsieur Poirot. And last year, we endured a Christmas tragedy with our equally dear Miss Marple. And this year we find ourselves with none other than Mr. Parker Pine in a story that I would argue is as heartwarming for our mercenary little heart specialist as any Christmas-themed fable out there, A Christmas Carol, The Gift of the Magi, or what have you. So with that in mind, Catherine, why don't you tell us a little bit about the publication history of this one? Why wait? Let's just jump right in. Well, it was first published in the U.S. as the Clerk Who Wanted Excitement in August of 1932 in Cosmo. And then in the UK as The Ten Pound Adventure in November of the same year in Strand Magazine. And I have to say, if you combine those two, you get a really interesting idea of what the story might be. Uh, in collected form, this, of course, appears in Parker Pine Investigates in the UK in 1934. Although, actually not Collins Crime Club. We've mentioned this before. In a weird twist, there are like two books that were under the Collins Mystery Series instead of Collins Crime Club for whatever reason. Right. It's this and the Lister yeah. Mystery. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Dodd-Meade in the U.S. the same year under Mr. Parker Pine Detective. Fantastic. Well, I will tell us about our victim because... There isn't really one, since there is no murder here, and not even a mystery. Not even a little bit. We are very much in Parker Pine heart specialist territory here, my friends. So I suppose we could say that our victim is our titular city clerk, or Clark. We do realize that it is pronounced Clark in the UK, but we are going to say clerk throughout. So please don't be too um, irritated by us, UK listeners. That is Mr. Roberts. He is our city clerk, and we never even learn his first name, which should tell you something. He is a small, sturdily built man of 45 with wistful, puzzled, timid eyes. And the crime that befalls him? Ennui, but of course. And so as far as suspects go, well, Unsurprisingly, for something that isn't a mystery, there aren't any. But if the crime here is ennui, then I suppose he has either himself or societal expectations to blame. Fair point. All right, let's talk about the world as it appears to be. Mr. Roberts is a stable, gainfully employed member of the middle class with a loving wife and two healthy children. He scrimps and saves every year to provide for them, and he's doing just fine, but he's tired of doing just fine. You could say that he has been thinking to himself that to lift another reference, I was getting uh, very much a proto-American beauty vibe here. This bag was just dancing with me. There's actually a reference made to his 
quote, wistful suburban soul in his eyes. And if that doesn't conjure that movie, I don't know what does. Yesterday I realized that there was this entire life behind things. So, Catherine, what happens to our city clerk here? It's perhaps not surprising that while his kids and wife are away with his mother-in-law, our city clerk reads Parker Pine's advertisement in the paper, and he comes calling, looking for adventure. He has exactly five pounds to spend, but Parker Pine tells him, I just fancy we might be able to manage something for five pounds. As we know, Parker Pine is very flexible about his fee structures. Indeed. So... Pine tells Roberts he's going to be sent on a mission carrying a cryptogram, which reveals the secret hiding place of the crown jewels of Russia. Mm. Of course. And Roberts believes him. Okay. Sure. Yeah. He's like, okay, that sounds believable to me. Cut to Roberts moodily sipping a cup of joe in Geneva, having completed his duties of secreting some papers in his sponge bag and then delivering them to a predetermined location. So his mission seems to be over and seems to have been super boring. And he's a little disappointed about that, except he is then approached by a tall bearded man with an eyeglass and a small colored ribbon in his buttonhole. Ooh, exotic. This man references the initials PP and tells him there's more adventure in store for him as to safeguarding those jewels. Roberts is thrilled. And from there, we get some thrillery hijinks. There's a train ride from Geneva to Paris involving the carrying of an actual firearm and the memorization of a secret password, well, a bunch of secret password phrases, actually. There is a dubiously named Eastern European man. Actually, there's more than one. There's Vasilyevich and Count Stepani. There is uh, the sickly sweet odor of chloroform haunting through a train cabin and he dresses up in the train conductor's uniform and there's this beautiful hunted creature the grand duchess olga who appears in a long foamy garment of cream chiffon and lace and with a gag across her mouth and her wrist tied together like, ooh la la, so much yeah, drama on so this train. Lots of drama on this train. It's about as cartoony as one of those silent movies where the villain ties the girl across the railroad tracks. That's really not an exaggeration. We should note that Roberts is very respectful of Olga the owner of those pesky jewels. There's this sequence in which he needs to hold a vigil to protect her throughout the night in her car where she's sleeping. And she's like, oh, you could just crash here. And he flushes to the roots of his hair because he's a married man and he doesn't want to put her in a, you know, a disadvantageous position. So he secretes himself in the washroom. So this poor man is hanging out essentially on the toilet all night protecting this woman and her jewels. He is successful in protecting the jewels, and there's a madcap chase that happens, although it's not entirely certain that they're being pursued, but Olga takes him from location to location in Paris once they get off the train, and then they take a plane to Croydon, and at the end of it, Roberts is able to hold Olga in his arms for one quick but not pervy, we're definitely not supposed to think that Roberts is being pervy here, uh, embrace before she leaves him forever. And and I believe their lips do even meet. So there is, there is somewhat of a, 
chaste kind of movie romantic kiss that happens as well. She leaves him forever, and he, very much like the middle-aged wife in a previous Parker Pine story, is left with the memory of this adventure to prop him up in the boring days yet to come, a.k.a. the rest of his life. (laughs) He'll always have that adventure that he once went on to look back on fondly and remember when his kids are being rude at the dinner table and his wife is too tired to talk to him at the end of the day, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The end. Well, wait, and he gets 50 pounds. Or is it the end? He gets 50 pounds out of it too. He does. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there because even though there really isn't a mystery here, the world as it appears to be is not everything that's happening here because there is more than meets the eye to this supposed adventure that our city clerk has just been on. Yes. Tell us about the world as it actually is. So, okay. Duh, guys. Duh. Grand Duchess Olga is our good friend Madeline DeSera because, of course, she is. Obviously. Yeah, obviously she is. And um, we learned, though, at the end of the story that Madeline DeSera is actually a character, too. And her real name is, quote, Maggie Sayers, fourth daughter of an honest, hardworking family. I felt so hoodwinked. I couldn't believe that Madeline DeSera wasn't her actual name. I-, I was taken in. I mean, that's her job, though, Kemper. That is what she is known for, a grand seductress of Parker Pine's employee. She's a grifter, and I was grifted. Yeah, I hope that she has, like, really mousy clothes in her day-to-day life. Likes, like, normal average things. Likes to curl up with a nice glass of Claret and a book and, like, is actually just, like, not some insane vamp. I imagine her being really cool, and I think that she is making bank under Parker Pine's employ, and that she's putting all this away to, like, a law degree or something. (laughs) She could just also just want to have a nice life, whatever, but I just have to think that there's more going on here than meets the eye in Madeline DeSara's brain. (laughs) Yeah, I, I fingers crossed for her. Fingers crossed. All right. So, yeah, of course, everything involving those supposed crown jewels was a big old fake. Those sinister European men were working for Pine, just like Madeline de Sarah was. However, Parker Pine actually does apparently run in the upper echelons of espionage circles. Which was shocking to me. Which this was, yeah, this was shocking to me, too, because I found it laughable that Roberts would believe that Parker Pine knew the right people to put him on the spy adventure. But we as readers are asked to believe exactly that, because smack in the middle of the story, there is this scene in which Parker Pine goes to dine with uh, Mr. Bonington, who is handling the turnover of some plans for a newfangled gun to the, wait for it, League of Nations, rather than a specific country as the, quote, finest peace gesture that's ever been attempted. How does Parker Pine know people like Mr. Bonington? Wasn't he a statistician for decades? Isn't that what his knowledge as a heart specialist is based on. Although it does make me flash back a little bit to one to buckle my shoe. When Mm -hmm. we find out that Poirot's very helpful new friend is in fact like the top spy, the George Smiley of the Christie verse. Mr. Chapman. 
in yeah. the end. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, it does go to that sort of, it's a classic of actual British spy trope, right? Though, I mean, George Smiley looks like a pencil pusher and he's one of the great spies of Lacare. But we're not supposed to believe that Parker Pine himself is a spy. It's just that he well, knows a lot of other spies. But I mean, maybe his statistics work was actually for like, the foreign office. MI5. Or whatever the, you know, World War One version was. I think you just single-handedly saved the story, Catherine. And how rare is that? I just want everybody to acknowledge my generosity <laughs> towards a Parker Pine story. Forget Parker Pine, which is normally what Catherine is so desperate to do. <laughs> this episode might actually be the heartwarming Christmas meta-tale of one Catherine Brobeck. <laughs> I poked a hole and you plugged I it. I did. You did. See, I don't <laughs> hold grudges. Sorry, Sophie. <laughs> Our dear friend Sophiana has her new book about holding grudges. And I might hold some, but I do not hold that big of a grudge towards Parker Pine. Or maybe you've just figured out how to transform your grudge into something that works oh. for you rather than against you. Oh, actually, you know what? That is actually a good call because now I can sort of see a deeper layering in these stories if I can attribute that kind of backstory to Parker Pine. There you go. Well, let's continue. I mean, I did just want to note that I think it was a little heartbreaking, this casual reference to the League of Nations and this peace gesture being made in a short story in 1932. Yeah, it didn't work out uh, so well. The League of Nations... Yeah, didn't really keep the peace all that well after World War One, and things were pretty much hurtling into uh, chaos and mayhem very shortly after this story came out. So, you know, let's not dwell on that too much. But it seems that the man who last had the plans for this newfangled gun was murdered. But fortunately, there is a switcheroo involving a recipe for boiling a ham. I am not making that up because how could I possibly be making that up? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the although plans it would are be, still in the right It would hands. be kind of delightful if we just started dropping details in <laughs> to see. Testing our listeners. Yeah, you are dear listeners. Was there really a ham recipe in this story? You know what? If we have an episode fall on April Fool's Day, we are 100% going to do something <laughs> like that. So be warned. Eight years in the future when we are covering Postern of Fate, and if it happens to fall on April Fool's Day in somewhere in the 2020s, I mean, let's be honest, th- though. Th- that just may happen. Let's be honest, though. The April Fool's joke is really just Postern of Fate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really excited to get to Postern of Fate. I'm sure I'm you really are. Like you're gonna. You're actually going to be like the staunch defender of it. I am. Oh, I'm going to make a case for the brilliance of Postern of Fate within the Christie canon. In any case, yeah, the plans because of this boiled ham switcheroo are still in the right hands, and Bonnington needs some low-level agent to ensure the papers get to the League in Geneva, but he doesn't trust the only agent who's on call at the moment, and Parker Pine tells him, I think I have just the man. So what's the twist, Catherine? The twist is Roberts actually did go on an espionage adventure for the League of Nations, <laughs> which is cra- like actually crazy. Those papers were actually, people were going to murder for them, literally. They did murder for them. Somebody involved with it had just been murdered the day before. So he actually is on an incredibly dangerous mission, except because he has no idea what the mission is. And because the mission itself is actually just to drop some boring papers in Geneva. He doesn't think that that's at all exciting. 
and nothing goes wrong because he clearly has no clue what's going on. He thinks that that's just the sort of entree into his adventure. And so Parker Pine arranges the rest of this, which is a theater. As we've seen many times before in these Pine Right, and it's for Robert's benefit. Pine gets asked by Bonington later, how do you make any money off of these things? Right, and Parker Pine admits, well, sometimes I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Because in this case, he lost a whole lot of money in that when we think about that that espionage adventure that happened, which involved hiring two Eastern European-looking men, plus Madeline de Sarah, all of these train tickets, plane rides, et cetera, et cetera, he put himself to great expense to give Roberts an adventure, and Roberts only gave him a five-pound fee. So well, right. and again, he was already very much in the red. Right, and this. he gives... Robert's a 50-pound check at the end. Yes. So Pine sends Robert's a a 50-pound check that says, from certain people who are delighted with the way a certain commission was executed. And we get the sense that Parker Pine, the mercenary calculating Parker Pine, when presented with a truly worthy client who deserves a little bit of tender loving care, Parker Pine gives a man like our city clerk, Mr. Roberts here, the adventure that he wants because he's a good man, he's a family man, and he just wants a little bit of adventure to hold on to. If that isn't a heartwarming holiday appropriate tale, I don't know what is. Good I on him. I will say this with one last sweeping stroke of cynicism. If Parker Pine, as it now seems, has an existing and deep relationship with the international espionage community, don't you think Parker Pine is maybe making some side money off that? Bah, humbug, Catherine. Stop <laughs> trying to ruin our heartwarming holiday episode. <laughs> it's possible, but we don't seem to get that sense from his conversation with Bonington. I think our... He asked, the, he asked him if he has a man for the job, which does imply that Pine has been utilized in this aspect before. Sure. I don't think that Pine is going to bankrupt himself with charity cases. I think Pine does this very rarely when he is actually presented with someone who is good, which in his cynical view is perhaps once in a lifetime. This might be the only time that Parker Pine did it. But I do think that the first twist of this story is that Roberts actually did have an espionage adventure. The second twist is that Parker Pine has a little bit of a heart of gold underneath all of the cynicism, at least in this case. I do think we are supposed to glean that. To an extent, although Boddington also makes the point that you literally could have actually gotten the guy killed. I know. (laughs) And Parker Pine is like, yeah, well, you know, I didn't tell him what was happening, so I figured he'd be really good at being clueless. And we get that weird little button scene with the spies on the other side who are like, wait, what happened? All we saw was that idiot who didn't know anything. How did they actually deliver the papers? Right. So he was right. No, they're right. They got a patsy. It was reckless at best, but his heart was in the right place. So, uh, and more to the point, that means, you know, Parker Pine had a heart. We're talking about his heart here. Well, no, as I said, the heart specialist has a heart. if, If he really does, or if this was just a one moment, you know, lapse. Well, you think this is the exception that proves the rule? I think so. I repeat, Catherine, bah humbug. (laughs) My opinions of Parker Pine as a mercenary are still not going to change. 
fair enough. I'm not going to defend Parker Pine anymore, but I do think that this is a rarity within the Parker Pine canon in that the story is ending on a much softer note than these Pine well, stories also, usually by do. The way, I, mean, I will compare this to The Discontented Husband. Ugh. Oof. Yeah, well, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Unless you'd like me to go on another 45-minute tirade. But I will say, this story is actually, like, sort of charming. Yeah, it is. It's, it takes a few minutes to read, and it's light on its feet, and it's, like, kind of funny in a weird way. You know what it is? It's a typically fluffy Christie story in the thriller vein, but I think that you can tell a little bit that it was written in 1932 as opposed to 1923. I'm sure she wrote this quickly, and it is by no means a masterpiece, and whenever Christie is writing in the thriller vein, she's not doing anything that a lot of other people didn't do better. Let's make no mistake about that. But I think you can see that she has a number of more years under her belt writing this story than she did a lot of those other early thrillers we've come across. The story never made me cringe, and I did enjoy it. That is the case of The City Clerk, our latest Parker Pine. Happy holidays, everybody. We are still in the heart specialist stories, and the later stories are closer to mystery stories than these are. Absolutely. Those later stories are very, very similar to Poirot on holiday stories because it's him going to a bunch of foreign locales and most, if not all of them, are miniature puzzle mysteries. So I think we're going to like those a lot. I think we have one more of these heart specialist stories. So we're almost there, Catherine. We're almost there. (laughs) You know what? I will say that I have liked talking about a bunch of them, mostly because... They got my dander up a little. (laughs) It's always good to get the blood flowing. Right? right? I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we will be covering the latest installment of the Listerdale mystery, A Fruitful Sunday. Mm -hmm. Very excited for that one. I do not remember reading that. I have no memory of it. I am very much hoping that it is going to be new to me. Many of the Listerdale mystery collection stories are, and that is always exciting when it comes to Christy, when it feels fresh. So join us for that. And in the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. As always, you can email us at allaboutthedame at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at allaboutthedame. You can find Catherine on Twitter at Brobcat. Our Facebook page is All About Agatha, and our Instagram handle is at allaboutagatha. And we really appreciate anyone who can take a few moments to rate and review us wherever you are listening to this podcast. It helps us out so much, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.